Brandon Brands. Hey, this is Jeff Tippett, speaker and entrepreneur. And if you want to build a brand that matters, you should be listening to Brands on Brands on Brands with my good friend, Brandon Bruckmeyer. In a world where advertising is ignored, business is exposed, and the only constant is change. How do you build a brand that matters? Welcome to Brands on Brands on Brands, a home for those who think different and push their boundaries. This is where branding that matters lives. Now, here's your host, Brandon Berkmeyer. Hey everyone, on today's show, we have Jeff Tippett. Jeff wrote the book on persuasive communications. It's an international bestseller on Amazon titled Unleashing Your Superpower, Why Persuasive Communication is the Only Force You Will Ever Need. His bold statement in that is that we will all live or die based on our ability to persuade. He's also a speaker uh, speaking to international audiences through keynotes and seminars. And he founded an award-winning public affairs and communications firm in 2014, aptly named Targeted Persuasion, of course. He's worked with renowned brands like Airbnb, the National Restaurant Association, the League of Women Voters, etc. And now he brings to us his tips on persuasion, on how to increase your effectiveness, have powerful tools to reach your goals, and to be empowered to positively impact and grow your organization or business. So I think there's a lot here today. Stick around, stay tuned. And I hope you like it. Brandon Brands. All right, let's jump into it. Again, thank you so much for jumping on today. We have Jeff Tippett with us, or Mr. Persuasion, as, as is, has been coined. Uh, really excited to have you. Why don't you go ahead and tell the audience a little bit more about yourself in your own words? Hey, Brandon, thank you for this opportunity. And let's let's go ahead and address the Mr. Persuasion up front. <laughs> I am really careful on that one. I never call myself that, but audiences and others have called that. So I will use it from their perspective. This whole thing of being Mr. Persuasion is too much pressure. <laughs> <laughs> Well, if you're united, it can be Sir Persuasion. <laughs> That'd be even more pressure. Yeah, there we go. Uh, down the road. Uh, a little background. I think I've just always been an entrepreneur. It's just in my DNA. As a kid, I started what I thought was a company that I call Snoopy's Yard Club. So I would go out and get contracts and gigs to mow and rake my neighbor's yards. And then I would hire my friends to go fulfill the contracts and do the actual work, which set me free to go get more contracts. So it's been part of my DNA, who I am. Uh, in October of 2014, I launched Targeted Persuasion, which is a public affairs and communications firm. Um, currently, I spend about 25% of my time doing client strategy, client interaction. And then the other 75% of my time, I spend around my speaking business. I travel internationally, and I ride and do all the work supporting the speaking business. And just in terms of right now where you are today, what projects are you working on right now that you're excited about that you're putting most of your energy into? I am in the process of redoing my main keynote uh, address, which I'm really excited about that. I've got a lot of new content from my book. Um, and I'm adding in some really cool additional elements to that that uh, are multisensory that allow people to experience things in different ways. So uh, I'm excited about that right now. Awesome. And the name of the book for the, for the rest of the people? <laughs> <laughs> the book is called Unleashing Your Superpower, Why Persuasive Communication is the Only Force You'll Ever Need. And we'll put some notes in the, in the show notes for people to have for a way to find that if they want to check it out and read it themselves. 
Before we get into your background a little bit more, I wanted to ask you, before you started speaking and writing books on persuasion, who was Jeff Tippett? What was he all about? What was he doing before he got into that role, role where you, <laughs> did it just suddenly happen overnight or were you kind of in this communications business? A little background, my master's degree is in English. So I come from a communications background. I have been in PR marketing and advertising the majority of my life. So I come from that back background. I'm going through this international adoption that I went through it was a big part of helping me to understand what persuasion is all about, and especially persuasion versus manipulation. And it became part of who I am as a professional uh, as well, in that you know, a, a lot of PR people feel like the goal is just to disseminate information. How do we get information out to the public? I think that's wonderful, but I think that's just part of the process. Uh, from my perspective, it's not only getting information out there, but it's how do we get users to take the actions that we want them to take? And how do we do that with ever, without ever manipulating them? I mean, at some point, you figured out, you know, it's time to change course with my work. You know, you, you, it sounds like you were in a corporate position, as I was. I, you know, I spent 17 years at advertising agencies, so I, I definitely have worked, <laughs> I'm sure, you know, with either people in your exact same position or along those roads. Uh, and I know it's, it's hard to kind of get out of that mindset and to change kind of what you want to do in your life. Like where, when did that start to happen for you? When I was in existing companies, I was always the entrepreneur. So I wanted to start something new. Like I, I needed to branch out, create something different. It was a great testing ground for me as well to be able to try things within the support of a system that was already in place. So that was part of the journey. But it finally reached that point in October of 2014 when I, I just had to do it. Like I had I'd done all the prep work. I kind of knew what my product was going to be. I knew who my market was going to be. I knew how I was going to reach them. I set up all my business work. I turned to get all my business set up, my CPA, the website. Everything was just sitting there on hold until I was finally ready to roll it all out the door. And that's a big step. I mean, being Ooh. willing to, to get out there and suddenly you're, you're, you have to run this business yourself and take on all the work. And to click go, I mean, was it just you finally had some clients coming in and you were you know, like ready to take the plunge? The, the true story behind the background was I did all of the work to get there and I just couldn't emotionally, mentally make that challenge, make, make that, that choice. I was like, go, go out there for it. And the company that I was working for uh, somehow found out uh, that I had filed with the Secretary of State's office for a new company. And so they <laughs> came to me and said, uh, well, we see a filing in the Secretary of State's office for a new company with your name. Could you tell us what's going on? And so I told them and they were like, all right, well, have fun with your company then. <laughs> wow. So, here we go. It's, that's nice. So they were Googling you daily, it sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> they were definitely keeping up with what was going on. And, you know, when I lost, it, my specialty here was going to be in the political space, especially digital, helping political candidates connect directly with the voters that could elect them. And so I launched at the worst time possible. This was in October of an election year in, in 2014, a November election. However, um, Brandon, I was excited that within the first week, I signed a half dozen clients. And within the first quarter of my company's existence, I signed my first international client, this little small company out of California called Airbnb. <laughs> Never heard of them. <laughs> What's how they start up? You'll hear about them soon. They're up and coming, man. <laughs> exactly. What I love about companies like that is that they're the ones out there that found what was wrong with an industry, listened to consumers and said, this is what we need to change. And, and so many businesses don't have that opportunity. They're too big to figure out how to shift. 
And they're one that actually said, we're going to be customer first. We're going to listen to what are the things that are broken and try to fix them because we can, we have, you know, we're small enough and nimble enough to do that. So it's awesome that you have them as a client because they're the perfect kind of business that I'd love everyone to try to be. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'd love to dive into to the idea of persuasion specifically. It's something that you've, it seems, you know, started to form your business around or at least your leader, your thought leadership around uh, as you've moved forward alongside your business, which I think a lot of people can use it as an example for themselves. You know, what do you want to build, but also what do you want to stand for? Maybe you can talk a little bit about where, when persuasion became something that you wanted to focus on as a person. Absolutely. So for me, like the, the moment, like my aha moment in this, this whole process, I was going through this international adoption of bringing a baby from Haiti um, to the United States during a time when the government was collapsing. President Aristide was being run out of office. And so his supporters um, and his detractors were in at war with each other. In fact, my first trip to Haiti, I realized I have landed in the middle of a civil war. And going through this process was the beginning and the lessons that I learned in this process. And especially when the thing, at one point, the entire adoption fell apart. And that's when I really began to understand what persuasion is all about. So tell me more. I mean, that, I think you're giving us a tease here. <laughs> There's a lot of emotion wrapped up in that. And I'm sure it didn't all settle in until later, like how you had to use it. But maybe you have some specific examples of where this really became an advantage for you, where you had to try to do a bunch of different things to make, to, to make you know, manifest or make work what wasn't working. Yeah, absolutely. So the, the genesis of this for me, that, that aha moment, um, came uh, about probably four-fifths of the way through this process. And you know, I was going through everything, and, and it was going along fairly well, considering what was happening in the country. And I was here, and I was working with a Haitian attorney. But during this time when the government was, was going through all these issues, I received an email from my Haitian attorney. And he said, Jeff, uh, because of all the violence, the government has shut down. And so this office that we need to sign your final Haitian adoption uh, paper, uh, no one is showing up for work any longer. That They're not here. So at best, you need to consider your adoption on a long-term hold. But at worst, Jeff, you probably need to accept the fact that you will never complete this adoption. <sighs> Brandon... I had been to Haiti like four times at this point. This journey was no longer about adopting a baby from Haiti. This was about bringing my daughter home from Haiti. So when he sent me the email and I began to digest it, I vividly remember that evening, like going introspectively, like trying to understand like what's happening? What is the universe telling me? What's going on? Because Brandon, like many people launching out for their companies, like, like you have this gut feeling, I'm doing the right thing. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. That was a feeling that I had, but I began to have all these doubts and I began to wonder like, did the universe really align? What am I doing to this mother? What am I doing to this baby now that the whole thing has collapsed? Woke up the next morning, decided I was going to do this. I was going to fly to Haiti and I was going to walk to that office every single day, hoping that for just some random reason, a government official would show up that could sign that document. So for two weeks, I did that, Brandon. Every morning, I was optimistic. You know, the sun comes up, man, I'm full of optimism. I'm going to go in. Today's the day. Only to walk home defeated that no one showed up to sign the document until one day a government official showed up. Now, for a little bit of context, it had been about two weeks in Haiti. There were very few English-speaking people around me. 
I speak for a living. That should give you enough clue there that there is a lot of words building up inside of my head uh, at this moment. And you can imagine the emotion attached to all this as well, realizing that I may not be able to take my baby home. So when this person finally shows up, Brandon, I just explode. And like I am going off on this person. And I say something kind of like this. Hey, I need you to sign my document. I need you to sign it now so I can get my daughter out of here and I can get her to the United States. You need to sign this for me now. Inside, I'm thinking, sure, he's just going to sign it. I'm going to be gone. Brandon, he looked at me and just said, no. So I had seconds to turn this thing around. This was like that, that critical moment. This was the moment. Do or die right now. So I drew on the limited knowledge of Haitian culture that I had. And using my interpreter, I said something kind of like this. Most likely you value Haitian families. I get a nod, yes. And most likely you love Haitian children. I get another nod, yes. And then I finally said, and most likely Haitian babies are a jewel and a priority for you. And at this point, his face starts to change, and I get a yes. So I pick up the document, Brandon, and I show it to him. And I said something like this. This document represents a little Haitian baby by the name of Jeanne. Jeanne doesn't have a home. She doesn't have a family. She doesn't have anyone to love her. She doesn't have anyone to provide an education for her. You can be the person to give that to her if you will just sign this document. Within 10 minutes, it was signed, it was stamped, everything was done, and I was out the door. Walking back, I began to process, like, what happened? And as I said up front, this wasn't, it wasn't like a bolt came down from heaven, I changed, all of a sudden someone knew. It, it wasn't that at all. There were no angels. I was no instantaneously from one person to the next. But what I started to look at this and realize was the conversation that I had up front with him, conversation A, we'll call it, was manipulation. It was all about me demanding what I wanted for my own benefit. But when I began to draw, and it was limited, but when I began to draw on the limited knowledge of Haitian culture and began to understand what most likely is important to him and what he values and what he might want to see accomplished, I was able to find a way for us both to get what we want. And that was my real first understanding of what persuasion is and what manipulation is. I will hats off to you on that. I imagine in the moment, just the, <laughs> fear, the fear, the anger, the you know, all the emotions wrapped into the same place to still be able to find a, you know, a way to communicate what was important to you, like what was in your heart and bring that out and find the connection with someone, a shared meaning, you know, that, that value. I think that's so rare. It's easier to do one-on-one, -on -one, but even harder when you start talking about businesses trying to find a way to connect it's almost impossible at, at some levels. And, you know, you had this thing that was like do or die, essentially, you know, how do I, you know, make this happen? I'm, you know, up against the wall and you still found a way to, to make that happen. So hats off to you there. And then I'm sure at some point you had to, you know, once you get past the emotions and you've just, you know, in the midst of taking care of your family and making the, you know, the things that we do day to day where you're just getting them home and taking care of them and all, all that at some point, you've got a break, which maybe there was never a break because you're a parent. But when you, when you found the minutes to think about, you know, what all this meant to you and settle into what was going on and maybe even had to introspect about your business and what you were doing with, you know, your life and how you're talking about yourself. When did the, the idea of, I, I think I've start, I have this message, this message about persuasion. When, how did that start to sink in? Because I know it's not an overnight thing. It's not an aha. You know, you, it does take some reflection, you know, and a lot of 
entrepreneurs I know are trying to find that in themselves. Like, what is my thing? How did that come to be? Was it, you know, meditation or just a lot of writing and, and kind of revising? Like, what was the, the thing that got you to that point? I think it's a combination of all, all the above and also really beginning to understand who I am as a person. Like for me, helping others succeed, and, and I don't mean to sound trite in that, but that is something that extremely motivates me. When I'm on the stage speaking to people and light bulbs start to go off for them, even if they capture just one little truth, what I know is over a trajectory, over time, that one truth can change their life, can change their business, can change everything around them if they adopt that and begin to move forward. So looking at that and realizing, like, I don't want to be that type of manipulator. Like, I don't want to be the type of person that forces people to do things because I want them to do it. I don't want to be a business owner that way. I don't want to work with clients that way. So really, and part of, you know, Work in the past was like, I had to get stuff done. I had to make things happen. And companies didn't care how I got it done, what the means were, just get it done and make sure it gets done. But once you're out on your own, you begin to process all of this and finding alignment again with who I was and like what really motivates me as a person. Because a lot of people think speaking is glamorous and running a company is glamorous. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of hard work, as you know. And there has to be alignment with who we are as, a, as people. Now, when was the first time you started to tell that story and explain like what you've learned about persuasion? How was that? Because I'm sure that first time was a little raw in terms of how you explain it to people and figuring out how that comes together. The, the whole situation is, is raw. I mean, it, it, it just is. Like you, I'm, Here I am, I'm a white person bringing in someone from African descent from Haiti into, this, into my home. And like, I, I question myself, like, do I have a savior mentality? Like, like, what all is happening here for me as a person? Like, what is my motivation? What's driving me? You know, and wondering about her. Like, what's her life going to be? Like, you know, how is she going to fare being raised in, in a, a probably white household? Like, what will it be like for her? But Brady, one of the, the biggest insights that I had that things were going to be okay my daughter was about three years old, and she was sitting on the floor between the kitchen and the dining room playing with toys, and she was arranging them into groups. And I looked down at her and asked her, what is she doing? And she said, Dad, I'm making families. She said, they don't match, but they're still family, just like I don't match and I'm family. And when she said that, it gave me the courage then to know it's okay. Yeah, Jeff, you're love this girl. You'll risk your life for her. You'll do whatever it takes for her. She gets it. You get it. This is all going to be all right. Yeah, from the mouths of babes, right? <laughs> they, say the, <laughs> they say the darndest things and sometimes they're just truer than anything you've ever heard before. Yes. And sometimes they say things we wish they wouldn't say in front of others, right? <laughs> but they do say some, <laughs> some incredible things. Yeah, no filters at all on this <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'd love to, to dive into a little bit for the people that do want to learn something about persuasion, yeah. you know, and they can read the book to get the full detail. But if you had to give some core elements of persuasion and th those pieces, those building blocks, what would you start with someone who's trying to learn a little bit more about that? How about this? How about we talk a little bit about manipulation versus persuasion? Sure. I think, I think it's extremely freeing. And then let me give you three building blocks for persuasion that pretty much everything can fall in line with. Does that, does that work? Does that sound good? Yep. First, so let's talk about manipulation. If you go back to conversation A, that was manipulation. Manipulation is this. It means to control or to influence a person, but to do it cleverly, to do it unfairly. Basically, what happens in manipulation, we're trying to move people out of our own self-interest. Now let's compare that with persuasion. Persuasion means to call someone to do something, but to get them to do it through reasoning or sound argument. Now, the word argument here 
isn't what we do at our tables at Thanksgiving and Christmas talking about politics and religion. This isn't about duking it out. What it is really, it's the truest sense of the word argument. When two people are sharing their opinions, their values, the gaps, the things that are going on, they're honestly sharing with each other. And then through the sharing and over time, and especially after a sustained effort and providing sound reasoning, we bring the other person along the journey with us. Now, this will probably be extremely helpful to your entrepreneurs. I look for, as I'm trying to close a contract, I look for two magical words from the client, potential client, to know if I've manipulated this, this deal and this negotiation, getting them here, or if I've manipulated. Uh, and Brandon, those two words are, that's right. Here's what I mean by this. When we as entrepreneurs are building our business, when we're working with potential clients and we share with them, we, we listen to them, we understand the gaps, we understand the problems, very much like you were talking about how Airbnb was nimble enough to do that. When we're in that place and we listen to them and we bring solutions to the table and we have these conversations back and forth and we come to the decision point and they look at us and they look at me and say, hey, Jeff, that's right. Your company can fix this gap. You can solve this problem that we have. You're a really good fit for us. That's right. At that point, I know they want it just as much as I want it, and they want it for themselves. At that point, I've not manipulated. I have persuaded. I've helped them through reasoning. See, in fact, Brandon, I would take it a step further. I think persuasion is leadership. I think persuasion is seeing a better future, a better outcome for someone else, and helping them to see it for themselves and bringing them along in this journey. I love that. I love that. And there's a lot about what I do that's a, that's the idea of listening is like the core tenet of, I think, knowing how to give someone what they want is really understanding them first. So I, and I'm wondering if that's in one of these core building blocks, because I, I think there's this idea of this reciprocation. <laughs> Absolutely. So let's skip on it. That's in the middle of the book. Let, let's get to that. <laughs> That's exactly right. I have a chapter in the book called Help Others Find Their Win So That You Win. And Zig Ziglar said it this way. He said, we'll get everything in life that we want if we just help enough other people get what they want. Here's the thing. Let me give you a challenge for, for some of your entrepreneurs that may be getting ready to sit down with a potential new client. Oftentimes, we'll sit down and we'll tell our story. We'll talk about how old our company is, how many employees we have, how many awards we've won. What if we skip that? Honestly, they don't care, Brandon. We think they care. They don't really care. What if we skip all that and start with them instead and say, tell me what's going on in your company. What's happening right now? Where are the gaps? Where are the pressure points? And then through listening and asking clarifying questions, not making assumptions. You know, if, if we're in relationships, sometimes we make these assumptions based on what people said and we may head down the wrong path. No, ask clarifying questions. Really listen take notes, like really listen to what they're saying and then offer some solutions to the table. I think it's a great challenge for your listeners to try the, try the model, turn this around and make it not about you, make it about them instead. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And some of these building blocks you were talking about, I, I jumped ahead in the book though. I have, I, haven't, I don't have the book with me here, but it just means we're on the same page. What's going on? Let's talk about those building blocks a little bit. All right. So, the, so the, I build this around three C's, the, the letter C, three C's. The first one is capture. Like, How do we capture our audience? And there are three main areas. First of all is our message. And I think, uh, Brandon, most times companies, when they fail, is they fail in their message. They don't develop a clean, crisp, simple message that people can understand. You know, we have all of these acronyms. We have all these extra words and language that it really doesn't matter. So how do we distill down the message into something that people can really understand in a bite-sized um, bit? Now, 
I realize there's a lots of information that people do need to have. So when I'm teaching this, I talk about an inverted funnel where we give people small bits of information that whet their appetite for the next level of, of information. A very simple example of that is when people say, Jeff, what do you do for a living? I don't give them five minutes. I don't even give them a 30-second elevator pitch. I'll say something like this. I speak professionally, and I stop. Almost every single time, they're like, oh, wow, that's pretty cool. What do you speak about, Jeff? And I'll say, I speak on persuasive communications. And then oftentimes, I'll come back and I'll say, oh, so you teach people how to manipulate for a living. And we'll laugh, and we'll kind of talk you know, about that. But here's what's happened in that, Brandon. They've engaged in the conversation because they want the information. They want to know it for themselves. Not because I've stood there for five minutes going on and on about what I do. I distill it down to something that captures them and makes them want more information. So it's about developing that message. It's about creating a message that's sticky, that will remain with people a minute after you talk, an hour, a week. We want to stay top of mind in our conversation and making sure, especially in the digital space, that our message is something that can capture people's attention early because we only have seconds to do it before we lose them. That's good. And I, I think the idea, it's one word answers or two word answers are good as long as there's a mystery there. And it's not That's just, right. and, and it's not that you're just not giving back in a transactional way. Exactly. What I'm trying to do is, and I set it up, and I've tested this, of course, but I set it up in such a way that I want to say something that doesn't give them everything, but gives them enough because I want their mind to start turning. They're going to remember me more that way as well. Hey, I, I told this guy, he seeks on persuasive communication. It was a pretty cool conversation. But if I, if I did that in a five minute little pitch standing there, it really, it really wouldn't work in the same way. So it, it's, it's, it is bite-sized information. It's an inverted funnel, but it's designed to create a, an appetite for them to get more for themselves because they want to know. So that's, all, that's everything under the C. The second one, the second C is connect. And that's how we connect with, that, with the other person. The first part is what we've already talked about. It's helping others find their win. There's a magic. And I think, I think in this area of connection, it is really a secret sauce. Like it is, it is a special way to help us persuade. And it is when we start with the others. Like we understand what it is that they want. There is a connection that will begin to happen. And then how we begin to build an emotional bond um, with, with our audience. Lots of ways to, to make that type of bond, such as humor, compassion, empathy storytelling and you know, being authentic but how do we how do we create a bond and then the third part of the connection which is probably the most important is trust and how do we build trust in, in our with our audience when I finished my manuscript I handed it to my publisher and my editor they came back and they said Jeff you talk in all the chapters a little bit about trust but you never really hit it head on how important is trust and persuasion I was like oh my god it's it's everything. Like if you don't have trust, you could take every chapter of my book and run it through a shredder. It's not going to matter whatsoever without trust. So first we capture their attention and then we connect. And then the final C, the last one is convince. So then how do we convince? Um, and in the book, I talk through three ways to do that. First of all, is positioning our message and understand how we position that ask. How do we position it in such a way that people will say yes? And I talk about loss aversion versus prospect theory, emotion versus logic, because we know people buy for emotional reasons and they justify for logical. It's not the other. And binary versus non-binary options, like finding multiple ways to move forward. So positioning your message so people can say yes. Um, how to structure a call to action. 
that people just can't resist, that they're going to follow. And, and I give 13 ways there of creating that call to action. And then the final way of convincing, um, and I don't believe in shortcuts. I think we have to put the work into things, but I do think there are, there are ways that can catapult us a little bit faster. And that's becoming the third way of convincing is becoming an industry expert, like to find your niche area, to find what you do, what you do really, really well, in my case, it's persuasive communication. Find that if people view you as the guru in that space, it really does help you persuade in a much faster means. So we capture, we connect, and we convince. Three steps. And I appreciate you sharing those three core pieces because I do want to dive a little bit into how those get applied to businesses and advertising in general. But before I jump into that, to kind of Speak a little bit about branding because that's kind of the the crux of the show. A lot of you know the, a lot of the content that we're talking about here. I would like to ask you personally: Do you believe that branding or selling? You don't get to change the words. <laughs> do, you, do you believe that branding or selling is more important long term for a business? And if so, you know, which one? Why? For me, I think that the brand is held in the eyes of the consumer. So the work that I do around the around the branding aspect of it creates within the consumer's mind how I want them to view me and how I want them to respond. And I think that can lead to selling all by itself, where selling may or may not. So I think I would have to say, I think I have to go branding. Fair, and there's no wrong answer, even though the show is called Brands on Brands on Brands. <laughs> I've gotten selling a few times and that's okay. And I didn't want you to change it to say persuasion is the most important thing because that's cheating. <laughs> but the, I do want to say in advertising, there's a lot of focus on this idea of storytelling, which you touched on a little bit, and imagery and the things that you use to persuade a consumer to buy in you know the terms of, that they're designing it. Are we missing a step? You know, because you talked about is persuasion a bad thing, but are we missing a step in focusing on the storytelling and imagery from an advertiser standpoint? Imagery is huge to me. Like even when I speak, uh, I moved away from like your standard PowerPoint, and I use a lot of motion behind me. So when I'm talking about Haiti and telling the story there, I'm able to to display motion of of what's going on in Haiti and, and someone holding a baby and things of that nature, which to me connects to the emotion. And I think there's anything that we often lose is that is how do we connect to the emotion of that person? Like how do we make how, how does our story? We tell a lot of stories. But does that story connect at a human level? Does it connect at an emotional level? And I think oftentimes that's an area that, that, that brands can improve on is, is, is reaching that emotional. Because again, as we know, it's, it's about the emotion. Connect with the emotion. They're going to buy. They'll justify through the logic, but finding that emotional connection uh, with them. Fonts do that. Color choices do that. The language that we use, the words that we choose to use, the words we choose not to use. For example, I ran a, a successful public affairs campaign in the state of North Carolina where we moved Sunday alcohol sales from noon to 10 a.m. One of the words that I never used in that campaign was the word alcohol. We never spoke about alcohol because I didn't want to talk about alcohol on Sunday morning when some people think you should be in church, right? Not drinking. So we talked about family. We talked about brunch. In fact, we called the campaign Free the Mimosa. It made people laugh, like just hearing the hashtag with that. I could connect with them you know, at that level. And even with that, I was able to connect. Most people had been to a restaurant at 11 a.m. with family for Mother's Day to order mimosa and been told no. Or they had gone through a, a line at the grocery store to buy beer for an afternoon game and been told no. And I wanted to connect with that emotion that they were already feeling. I didn't have to cause the emotion. I didn't have to create it. I just had to connect with it and then give them an outlet to change it. Now, 
part of that is I've connected with a lot of commercials, you know, I'm an emotional person. So there's a, you can connect with the, it's a commercial or the message in, in mass communication, but when does it become, yeah, you, you designed a good story, but it's still spam. You know, it's still something to me that's not useful. Like when do when do you cross that line of the storytelling got, it was too much in the forefront and you've lost something along the way where it, that consumer doesn't care anymore. Yeah, one of the things that we found, like to go back to this particular campaign, that because I was able to speak to something that already mattered to them, like it was already there in them. What they they had pain, they had pressure, they would love to see it change. They didn't think it could be changed, but again, like I was able to show them, you can change this. Like this is, I'm going to hand you the tools here to change this. I need you to sign the petition, and then after the petition, there was all these emails that went out. There was a lot of social media work. When we sent out our first action alert, we had more responses. My client was a National Restaurant Association out of Washington, D.C. Um, they came back and said, Jeff, we had more responses to this action alert than any campaign in any state in our history. Why did it work? I, had, I connected with something that they already felt that was real to them. And we didn't focus on people, even with our digital ads, like we were extremely geofenced in that. There were areas of people that we didn't reach. There was no value in reaching those people. I'm not going to change them. You know, we had situations where some extremely religious conservative groups wanted to come against us. I'm not going to change your mind. I'll leave you alone. I, and there's not enough emotion in the world to change your mind because you're doing what you think the Bible is telling you to be doing. I'm not God. I can't compete with God and your interpretation of God. So I can't change any of that. But for those who are at that place, right, that's when I wanted to connect with them. Right. So there's definitely an element of targeting here. If you're reaching the right people, those messages make sense. And if you're if you're, if you're just sending it to everybody or you don't have a product that actually helps someone and there's no value there, then, then it becomes, it starts to cross that line. And I think there does have to be a little bit of customization in the messaging to be finding the right people at the right time. Absolutely. And we had, we had geofence ads, like we had unique messages. We had right. influencer messages. So those who had big networks of people, we'd send them information. We had information that went to legislators. That was crafted differently. P- language that went to um, average people that were working, that were constituents at part of the campaign. Everything was segmented and it spoke directly to them and what they valued and what they were looking for. Right. Now, to kind of change gears a little bit here. Do you know any persuasive brands that are doing it right? Ones that you are like that, that's, they're doing a good job. They, you know, either the way that they've crafted their campaigns or just the way that they've uh, represented themselves as a business. My new favorite right now is Chubby's. Explain. I, Chubby. <laughs> yeah, I, I forget. I forget what the word, other names for that word. I said Chubby's create shorts. They're a, 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 a an apparel company and the approach that they take it's so real in fact they sent out an, an email i think it was yesterday or today and the the sender was 1983 at chubby's uh, and they said hey this is for yeah from 35 years ago but i'm coming back out right now and so it was really cool like the way that they made it fun and exciting i, I couldn't wait to read the email okay what are you bringing back from 83 1983 what do those shorts look like what were people wearing in 83 it's so much fun um and the, the card the little card that came in there something like you know your postman just delivered a chubby to your mailbox just want to make sure you knew that. Like, like all the fun that they have with it i can connect with that brand i've already ordered my first two pair of chubby shorts and now i'm looking for my next ones perfect and along that same vein are there any brands that you would say that you trust there's a slight element of cynicism in me having 
been you know the, the communication arm for some of these some of these brands and having worked with political figures what i would say is this i have been able to trust a lot of mom and pop type companies that are really out there building it because their heart is there and they care for their customers they care for their employees and i would much closer align with that side than I would on the corporate side. I just feel like, and the same thing with political figures, like the more you grow, the bigger you get, the lack of trust there is from my perspective. So it's one of the reasons I love local businesses. Yeah, me too. And I, I think that that's the piece that if the, you know, if a larger business that is, has scaled can look back to its roots or look back at local business and say, what are they doing that has established that trust that I could try to implement you know, one person at a time or one market at a time. I think there's something there that you don't immediately think of some of these national brands. You start to think of those places that are more, you know, uh, high touch with you, places that are around your neighborhood or people that you've interacted with. Yeah. And I think what you just said is extremely important. Like the whole one person at a time concept. And, and we talk a lot of this with clients about this, even when it comes to email marketing and, and mass email marketing, oftentimes copywriters, their focus is, okay, I'm writing to this particular list. And it may even be a segmented list, but they write to the list, which gives you one type of product. I encourage people to try another approach is, now go look at that list, find one person on that list that you know. Her name, let's say her name is Lisa. Now write your email to Lisa as if you're speaking from you to Lisa, communicating what it is that you're trying to say. Now, you can, of course, you know, send this out in the mass email, but it changes everything about your email. People know when you're writing to a group versus when you're writing to them. So look, try, try this exercise. I encourage any, anyone who's sending out mass emails, try it. Like, like Pull a name out. Visualize that person. Think about that person and write to her. And Don't it, write to a list. Exactly. And I think it's funny. I just, I just wrote an article on this exact same thing with almost those exact same words. It's, I think it's this idea that you should, yeah, you should be writing to one person. But also, I think sometimes even that people are like, oh, that makes sense to me. Let's try that. And then they develop these, you know, as you're working with a corporate entity, they say, let's develop that person. Let's give them a name. Let's call it a persona. Let's call it an avatar, which is not my favorite word, by the way. And let's, you know, now craft everything around this one person, but there's, you know, a hundred people or a thousand people. And I think they stop at the one person part of it. Then it becomes mass mailing again, because not everyone's the same. And what I like to say is, are there, is there a way to say, you know, what if you now had to create 10 people? How would you write this message for 10 people individually? And you, you challenge yourself to do that. Now, what if it was 20? What if it was a hundred? If you actually have to go through that exercise you might find some interesting ways to write your, you know, create your lists different, to write your copy different, to send out messaging in a different way where you actually start to resonate with more people one at a time. There are going to be people that have things in common, but when you can actually go a little bit further and challenge yourself, you might find some of those nuggets of, you know, what that, that actual connection is that you, in that shared meaning you can develop with people. I fully agree. And I would even say too, like, like looking at the content, you know, what it is you're trying to say and ask the question, why does she care? 
Why does Lisa even care about what it is that, that you're saying? And, and here's, for example, how I'm playing that out in, in my own business. I had a very successful launch of my new book, and we landed um, number one in 10 categories, including international. I'm launching out uh, my new book. And so it, it's done really well, and I'm extremely excited. And 30 days out, we're still in the top 10 in Amazon in a couple of categories. So that's all really good news. But when I speak, my target market are meeting planners and associations. Guess what, Brandon? They don't care that I have a new book. They don't care that my book landed number one Amazon international bestseller. They don't care about any of that. So the language that we're crafting is why it matters to them. And here's why it matters to them. They need fresh speakers. They need speakers with new content. They need speakers that are highlight speakers that they can point to because that's what's going to drive attendance at the event. So everything in that language is about why it matters. They, they, they don't care. Our audience doesn't care about us. I wish I could say that they do. They don't. They care about themselves. And when we can understand that and shift our mindset and realize it's about them. Now, I've got this information I want to get out there, but how do I position this? How do I reframe this in a way that speaks to what they care about, not what I care about? I love that. And as a great example of as someone who's had to take the road of building a personal brand for themselves and their business uh, and having something to speak about, I always tell people like, you should start now, build, start building your personal brand now. Do you have any tips for someone who A, was in corporate or maybe is even just coming out of college? Like, How should they go about starting to build their personal brand? My uh, argument here would be that it isn't even about starting building your brand. You're already building your brand, whether you realize it or not, you're building your brand. And it may be that you're not building yourself and that's it. That's exactly what, what you're building. You know, what I encourage people to do is, especially if you're considering like launching out and becoming an entrepreneur and moving to, to your own, don't wait. Like when you're inside of the company, what are you known for? Like, how do you promote that? Like, how do you get out there and how do you use the same language over and over about like what you're really good at? Like understanding your skill sets, your onlyness, which is a, is a word that I didn't coin, but I, I use a lot to talk about what's special, what's unique to you, what space do only you occupy and begin speaking to that in that space and build that out now. And that can easily translate, which is exactly what I did, translate out of your corporate setting into your solopreneur or your entrepreneur or whatever you're doing on your own. Couldn't agree more. And I think the, you know, what a lot of people say is find your voice. And I think that that's confusing to especially a younger group. And what I like to change that to say is, you know, try to work on finding perspective in a way that you, you know, you take in the things that are around you and you, you know, you start to find a way to verbalize how you feel about those things or what your opinion is on those things and write it down, you know, whether it's actual writing or typing or recording, whatever it is, you know, if you can find a way to continually figure out what your opinions are about things and not just what you're being told, but how you interpret them and how you feel about them and doing more research, uh, then you start to be on your way of having a voice that you can then put out there for other people to you know, either resonate with or not, but it's your voice. Absolutely. And I do think that this needs to be truly who you are as a person. And it took me a while for these things to align. It doesn't just like automatically come because we do have a lot of pressure from society to be X type of person or to be like respond in this type of way. And it's not always who we are as individuals. And we, when you're out there on your own as an entrepreneur, you have a lot of freedom then to really figure out and a lot of responsibility to figure this out. But I also think it needs to be true to who you are. Like as you know, in the political work, like I couldn't continue on the political side of work. I hired a business partner. I brought on a business partner to handle the political side, and I only do the public affairs side because the political is very dark, it's very dirty, the types of things that have to happen in political campaigns. You know, we would do oppo research and then leak that to the media, things that would destroy people's families. 
And Brendan, that didn't align with who I am as a person. I'm on the other side. Like, I want to build you up. I want to help you become better in life. I want you to help reach your goals. What can I do to help you? Not what can I do to tear you down? So I found that that didn't align with who I was as a person. And there's so much peace when all of our work aligns with who we are internally and what matters to us. Now, on the spirit of that, before we start to wrap up a little bit, on the spirit of that goal, in terms of goals, what's your next big audacious goal for you, your business, your brand, however you want to call it? I am redoing my keynote. I just hired another coach, kind of working in that space right now to, to create even, an even better keynote address. Um, but I am I'm sifting through ideas now for my next book. And that's part of it, which sounds crazy because you know, this one just came out in February of 2019. But I'm to that stage now. I've got to start thinking of the next. Like, and how do I use this information? How do I apply it? So that's my next big thing is another book. Not an easy task for sure. <laughs> But it's extremely important. And especially if you have like entrepreneurs in your audience that really want to get their name out there, they really want people to understand, they want to bring a level of credibility to their work as well. There's nothing like completing a book to get yourself out there. Completely agree. And what's one place online where we'll find you the most? What's the easiest place to find you, whether it's social media, website, what's, how do we get a hold of you? I'm jefftippett.com, J-E-F-F-T-I-P-P-E-T-T. And Brandon and I have Google ads on all kinds of misspellings of my name. So if a person gets somewhat close, it'll likely pop up. But from there, they can find my newsletter. They can find me on social media. And I love to carry on online conversations too. So people are welcome to follow and start a conversation. I'll be right there. Perfect. Thank you so much. You've just taken your marketing knowledge to another level with this episode of Brands on Brands on Brands. But we have plenty more ways to not just help you build a business, but build a brand. Head over to brandandbrands.com for more resources, as well as access to our blogs, videos, and exclusive coaching sessions with your host. Be sure to visit brandandbrands.com.